VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, Lionel Messi scores in his 1,000th game as Argentina knock Australia out of the World Cup and reach the quarterfinals where they'll face the Netherlands, who breeze past the United States. We'll talk about the future of US football. We'll talk about Messi's walking around the pitch and we'll look ahead to England against Senegal on Sunday as well. This is The Game. Welcome back to the Game Podcast. I am Hugh Wisencroft out in Qatar. I've just got back from the Ahmad Bin Ali Stadium. It is early in the morning, 2 a.m. And so I'm trying to be quiet. I'm trying to be nice to my neighbours. We've been banging on the walls each night as we record this podcast. But I reckon there's going to be a lot of screaming and shouting in this hotel because there's loads of Argentina fans and they are absolutely delighted. They've just got off the Metro with me after their man Lionel Messi in his 1,000th game score and lead them to victory against Australia in a game which actually... When you look at the overall picture, I was inside the stadium, could have gone either way. I want to give credit to Australia, but we're going to start with that man, Messi. A thousand games, Tom. Unbelievable. He scored his 789th career goal, 94th for his country in 169 caps. Yeah, basically, Messi is Argentina at this World Cup. Yeah, I think he's getting better and better as well. It's the thing. Every, every match I've seen him play now, I think he looks kind of sharper, hungrier. I think this is sort of the best I've seen Messi play for, a, I don't know, maybe sort of a couple of years, you know. He sort of had a little bit of a bad patch towards the end of his spell at Barca and obviously that first season at PSG, but he just looks like he's got that kind of zip back, um, taking people on. I thought what was really interesting today was, you know, sort of that, that match-up against the kind of Australian defenders where you sort of thought it's going to be kind of Messi's dancing feet against the kind of brute force of Harry Suter, but... I think what really kind of showed today was his his kind of strength and his ability to to sort of muscle out of challenges, which I, I think sometimes, if anything, goes a little bit under the radar with Messi, and there isn't very many things in that regard, is that he is also an, an incredible athlete and he has this amazing ability to to ride challenges and to overcome contact. And I think we saw that so much tonight. I really thought it was an incredible performance and... I think he's he's really coming into that vein of form now where you think it is possible that this Argentina team could win the tournament with him playing like this. And I think it's uh it's quite frightening for the for the rest of the competition when he kind of gets into this mode. Gregor, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean he was majestic in spells. I, I, just to follow on from what Tom was saying there about uh, how good an athlete he was. I mean, in particularly in the first half, he's pressing. He didn't give Australia a minute's peace, and Australia, particularly at the back, did did quite well, you know, in terms of trying to play out and play through Argentina's press. But Messi very much led it. 
And, you know, we always think that he kind of, when he's not on, on the ball, and this is true as well, that he kind of strolls around and he's scanning the pitch and he's ready to go when, when he's, you know, when Argentina win the ball back. That's not always the case. And you, as I say, I think you led the press very well tonight. But most importantly, just drifting into 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 spaces that it's hard to know who's going to pick him up. If you're an opponent, it's just an absolute nightmare. And then his speed and, and skill and the unique way he can cover the ground, basically. I mean, with his goal, it was like, I think Otamendi didn't even really know that he was laying it back for him, but <laughs> but Messi somehow kind of took it, shuffled his feet and passed it into the corner before anyone else could react. And that's just how quick his feet are. And it's it's, uh, it's great to see him stepping up to that level in the World Cup. Uh, I've got to be honest, Messi was sensational. I think, obviously, as the game broke up late on, it was made for him. We saw some incredible runs, beautiful passes. Lautaro and Martinez should have definitely scored. You know, it was Messi at his peak. He was basically taking the mick. But I'm yet to see an Argentina team that I think is going to going to test the very best. I honestly, apart from Messi, I just don't see it. I mean, Australia could have easily got a result. Could have easily got a result um, had they not made those two glaring errors. And I mean, they cost themselves a, a huge history-changing result against Argentina. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Australia had to kind of stay in the game for as long as possible. And that's why that second goal was such a, a sinker really for them, because I think at 1-0, if they could have been within one, you know, and even in the last kind of 10 minutes, I always felt that, you know, they would have a, a kind of late wave of pressure, um, which they did have. And then they got that bit of luck. And then you thought, well, that was the goal that could have been the equaliser, you know. You know, I, I think Argentina were were pretty in control for most of the match. But I do think in that last kind of 10, 15 minutes, it got more frantic than it needed to for them. I was surprised they weren't able to kind of see that match out more comfortably that, you know, it, it came to those sort of last ditch tackles and, um, that chance at the end of the back post, you know, as you say, Australia could have, you know, can come back from two nil down there and forced extra time, which just would have been absolutely incredible. When you consider the, the golf in, in quality between the two teams, um, I guess the one point to make really is is what is the benchmark here? You know, what what is the team that we think Argentina has to beat to win this tournament? So far, all the kind of biggest teams, all the favourites, France, Brazil, Spain, England, you know, all those sides have shown strengths, but they've also shown some fairly major flaws as well, I think, you know, and um, there's no team yet that we've seen that is really delivering consistently every game throughout the whole 90 minutes. And that might be that the group stage was was chaotic and frantic and a slight kind of result of the the short preparation time. It might be that the kind of the best teams get better and better as this tournament goes on when they bed in a bit more and find their chemistry and their combinations. That that might might well happen, I think, in the knockout stage. But the evidence we have at the moment is that Argentina are, are you know, as flawed as anyone else. But they do have Messi. They do have, I think, a, a, a structure, a game plan, aggression, intensity, some organisation as well. And yes, it's not always spectacular, but I think they have um, a pretty good foundation, at least, which when combined with Messi in this form gives them a pretty good chance. That's not to say that, you know, that, that if they come up against Brazil, for example, in the semifinals, that they that they will, will manage to overcome those. Let's see. But I think they're in a pretty good place going into the quarters against against Netherlands, which I think isn't a bad draw for them going into the last day. I think as a, as a, as a matchup, that's pretty favourable for them. 
Um, so I see them right up there as contenders. I agree with you, not perfect. Certainly not the outstanding kind of team right now, but I think they're they're right in the mix. Gregor, what did you think? Because um, being inside the stadium for the last three Argentina matches, I think they need a messy moment to get them going, to ignite them, to ignite the fans. Still think they're very tense. And I think the emotion of it being his last World Cup is maybe weighing on them, all of them, the fans, the players, the coach. Um, I, f- I find his substitutions to be slightly confusing in the way that he changes the formation, even though his side has the game totally in control. He's done that in the last couple of games as well. Um, I don't know, but ultimately, I feel like, and I want to give Australia credit for their performance and their hard work, but I still feel like the gifts of goals that were given to Argentina tonight underlines to me their inability to really break teams down. The game against Mexico, it came down to Messi and Enzo Fernandez scoring great goals. Poland were nowhere to be found in terms of that that game. I mean, you know, they, that was probably the worst performance of the entire World Cup so far in terms of a single team. So, um, I, I, I mean, maybe it's the opposition and maybe I'm expecting more from Argentina. You know, they are getting the job done. But um, I think Australia could have easily beaten them tonight. I honestly do. I just think they lacked quality in the key moments giving away the free kick for the first goal, brainless. Matt Ryan, brainless. You can't do those things against Argentina and get away with it, basically. Um, and I just watched the game and I was thinking, and you know, you guys know I'm a naysayer about England. I thought England would probably beat these. So there you go. I mean, they're not, up for me, one of the favourites for the tournament even. Gregor? Australia, I agree. I mean, Matt Ryan will be inconsolable, I'm sure. Probably even more so given that they... They pulled the goal back and they had a and they rallied at the end and they had you know um Becic's his run it was remarkable. We needed a, a, an amazing uh, tackle by uh, Martinez to to keep to keep that one out. Um Kual who came on had a chance right at the death. So yeah, you know you know, if he'd gone on to lose three or four he might have <laughs> felt a little better about it, but ultimately it came down to a real a real shocker from, from Matt Ryan. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it could have certainly been, it could have been different. We've seen games already in this tournament where a shock's been sprung by a moment, and they had, and Australia had several of them. And I think, I think they deserve great credit. I thought so many really standout performance performers for them. Suter was talked about. Aaron Moy again, outstanding. Jackson Irvin. So they've been like they they did themselves proud. And I agree with you to an extent on on Argentina. I think Lionel Scaloni is not entirely sure of his best eleven. Although he's not alone in that, in the competition. And they're not entirely convincing. But again, they're not alone in that either. And they're the only ones who have Lionel Messi. So without doubt, they have a chance. Yes, they absolutely have a chance with the maestro. A thousand games, to be honest, is you know remarkable for any player. But the fact that he scored so many goals, 789 in a thousand games. Um, it was honestly an honour and a privilege to be inside the stadium just watching him tonight, seeing him in his thousandth game. And um, I think we all want him to get to the final or at least fans of football rather than a team in the World Cup. would love to see a Messi final, maybe even a Messi-Ronaldo final, whatever it might be, Argentina versus Brazil. You know, you want to see those storylines played out on the biggest of stages. But um, yeah, maybe it's just my emotion leaving that, that ground that I just don't think... I, I actually think the Netherlands will be a very evenly matched game against Argentina. It shouldn't be, in my opinion, in terms of the quality of player in each squad. Um, and I think 
Argentina, although they might control large parts of it, like I say, they've found it difficult to break sides down. It wouldn't surprise me if Memphis Depay and Cody Gakpo, um, Stephen Bergwijn with their footwork, as pretty much all of them are natural wingers, um, test this Argentina back line who seem to be desperate to dive in constantly and be really aggressive. And look, that, that's been hallmarks of Argentina teams of old. So maybe that's just that they're... I was going to say football culture, but I don't want to get cancelled. But you know what I mean. So, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think let's talk about the Netherlands next because they came past the United States three goals to one, pretty much held them at arm's length for most of the game. Christian Pulisic had a great chance early on. Yeah, and the Netherlands go through, but um, I don't know if they were really tested today either by the Americans. Um, Tom, did you watch it? What did you think? Yeah, I saw this. I, I, I've got to say, I, I sort of had circled this match as a kind of potential upset uh, for the last 16, and I was um, proven quite wrong, really. I, I didn't really think the USA really laid much of a finger on, on Netherlands. I just think they I don't know, they didn't really perform if the pressure kind of got too much, or maybe they were just kind of out, outthought, outclassed. You know, I think that the tactics that Van Gaal deployed were, were spot on. Um, they were just a complete control of of the contest, particularly in the first half. There was a period in the second half for about 20 minutes, I think, probably where, um, you know, Netherlands was slightly uncomfortable, but it didn't last that long, you know, and it, I don't think it was really a surprise when they when they added the third towards the end. It was, I thought it was a really impressive performance from from the Netherlands and a, a game in a way that we haven't really seen from them yet. You know, I thought in the, in the group stage, they were quite patchy. I wasn't that impressed with them um, in the win over Senegal, was it, early on? I didn't really, I just, it looked very much like a team to me that was going to go out fairly early in the knockout stage. But I thought they were, they looked much more organised today, much more like they had a, a good game plan. Suddenly Depay and Gakpo, I think, up front looked like a quite a, 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 a dangerous partnership. I think they could cause problems for Argentina. I agree with what you say. I mean, if you kind of look at what Gakpo and Depay have been doing and put that up against the sort of defending that we saw from Otamendi and Romero for that um, Bayich run towards the end, then, you know, you can imagine they might cause problems. Yes, I was quite impressed with Netherlands today. I was disappointed the USA, I have to say. I mean, it just feels like they, they can't get over this kind of last 16 hurdle. I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but it feels like they've got to this point a few times in the last few World Cups and just never managed to kind of go one step further. Um, I guess it remains to be seen if they can if they can make that next step on home soil next time round. But the Netherlands just kind of quietly maybe gaining a bit of momentum, a bit of confidence. Um, and, uh, and yeah, with Gakpo and Depay in form, and obviously an incredible performance from Dumfries. I mean, as a, as a as a fullback at a World Cup, ever made two assists, scored a goal, and also a goal line clearance in one match. I mean, it was a pretty incredible haul for a, for a, for a wing back. Um, and I mean, that pullback for Depay, I thought was was fantastic. It was a brilliant pass. I mean, his two assists were both excellent. But that that spot for him to find Depay on the edge of the area for that first goal at the end of what was a really Incredible move. I mean, it's certainly one of the best team goals of the whole tournament so far. Um, so a brilliant performance from him. Um, and I think a fairly encouraging performance for the Netherlands overall. Uh, Gregor, the Dutch say they can win this competition on the evidence of their first knockout match and what you saw in the group stage. Could they spring a surprise? I mean, I think it would be quite a surprise. I think it, I was impressed too with the game plan, absolutely, because the US looked pretty lost for ideas in the first half in terms of the way that the Netherlands sat off um, basically let the US sides 
back four have the ball <laughs> um, and ask them to play through them and they couldn't. Um, and that also really completely took out the threat and the dynamism of uh, the US side's biggest asset, which is their, their midfield trio, McKenny, Adams and, and Musa. They were they were kind of stuck in in uh, in quicksand. They couldn't there was not there was no space for them. And then as as Tom said there, the, the first move in particular first goal in particular, the move was a great, you know, real sweeping move from back to front and finished off brilliantly. So I think probably Argentina are gonna have to break them down too. And it won't be an easy an easy task. The problem is, as we said, you know, we take them on the most recent evidence, and that was a good, you know, well-executed game plan and a good performance and some excellent goals. Before this, they have been massively up and down, and they've had periods where they've, they've looked really composed, excellent on the ball, and then periods where they've just kind of gone mad. <laughs> they've just they've been they've looked wide open at the back. There's been huge big holes in midfield. You know, they have had periods in games uh, before before tonight where that's been the case. So, you know, again, we're not seeing, we're not really seeing a, a consistent team through all three games or, or all four games yet. And I'd put the Netherlands in that category. Yes, they've got, they've got the talent and Dubai coming back into the team and being fit and healthy again is a massive boost. And on tonight's said evidence, well-structured, but there's been times where they've looked complete, the complete, complete opposite. So it's a very, very hard one to call. And I know you're going to ask me. No, you don't have to call it just yet. We'll do it in the preview for the game. But um, the United States go out, Gregor. Um, obviously, they're going to be co-hosts in four years' time. Did you see something in this tournament from them that made you think like Greg Berhalter and his side are, are building something and they're going somewhere? Well, you saw youth. That's what you have to say. A lot of players, in fact, the vast majority of the players will be still in the reckoning, absolutely, for the for the next World Cup. So... You saw that, you saw organisation, you saw a hell of a lot of energy in midfield. A lot of players who are playing, you know, in top league, top European leagues now. And what they lacked was a goal scorer, I think. Um, so they need to find one of them, I think, if they're to go much further and possibly, although this will upset Alisson, I think it might be a step too far for one of our boys, Tim Ream. Another boy bites the dust, I think, is uh, yeah my reaction to that one. Tim Ream didn't deserve it. Okay, Alisson, I know you're listening. He didn't deserve it, okay? Cut his hair as well. <laughs> Tom, what do you think about the United States? Um, are you seeing a team there with some quality players playing in European leagues that in four years' time will make their nation proud? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I agree with Gregor. I think you know the fact that, that most of this team is going to stay together for the next four years is is a huge plus. I think what we saw against the Netherlands in a way was, was a bit of a kind of coaching um, golfing class. You know, sometimes we forget at World Cups that the sort of really elite coaches uh, being in charge of, of these teams is actually quite rare. You know, usually in a tournament, there's only kind of two or three uh, managers that you would consider to be in the kind of top 10 or whatever of, of the game. And, okay, we might think that Van Gaal is, is uh, you know, a fair way beyond his 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 best years as, as a coach. But equally, I think we saw today the value of having um, someone who can who knows how to um, react in, the, in a game and also come up with a very coherent, clever plan um, to combat the opposition and maybe you know that's what USA ultimately um, just lacked today you know a little bit of a, a smarter plan from the outset and also the ability to react to the game as it was going on I thought they just for too long they kind of were plugging away with the same system the same uh, tactics that clearly weren't working um, 
So that's not to say they need a managerial change, but I, but possibly you know that is something that um, made the difference today. But I think generally they have um, a lot of hope going forward. Um, and by all accounts, it was I think record television um, audiences back in the US. I think for the for the games of this World Cup, um, which suggests the interest is going up. I, I enjoyed that clip of of uh, Joe Biden sort of finding out the score in I can't remember which one which game it was that they won in in the groups and uh, sort of going up to a microphone at some political event and and uh, celebrating it with the admittedly slightly confused crowd, I have to say. So uh, I don't know how much the cut through of, of soccer is, is is getting through the general population there. But um, but yeah, generally, I think I think this team is, the fact they're going to stay together, I think, for the next few years is, is, a, is, a, is a huge boost for them. I think, uh, yeah, from what I saw from the Netherlands so far, they are a competent football team. And there's part of me that thinks, a really competent football team is going to get a result against Argentina because what I've seen so far is um, their defensive structure and the coaching being good enough. Mexico's was good enough. Obviously, they lost the game. I think today Australia's was good enough, but none of those teams carried a threat going forward. And obviously that completely changes the dynamic. You, you don't put any pressure on the opposition in the final third, even when you counterattack. Even when you counterattack, um, you know, when you go forward, it's it's easy for them to mop up. It's just not going to be the same against the Netherlands. You know, those front three can cause a lot of havoc, even if they're not the best players in the world or, you know, perceived to be top draw, world-class talents. They're still more than good enough, I think, to cause real trouble. And I think that's going to be really intriguing. Um, the systems as well is interesting for me because... The front three for Argentina today was um, Alejandro Gomez came back in. Um, again, he, he didn't really do much. Julian Alvarez and Messi up front. Top quality players, fantastic players to watch at their peak. Um, they can do fantastic things. None of them ran, particularly back towards their own goal. Um particularly Messi, obviously, but I just saw it and was like, can you carry the front three? Because I went to watch Paris Saint-Germain when Messi was in the team alongside Neymar and Mbappe when Pochettino was the manager. He got sacked because you can't carry three players. And Argentina, even if Alvarez and, and Gomez run more and Di Maria was injured, he'll come back into it. He runs a fair amount, but can you carry Messi and go far in this tournament? I don't know if you saw the stat before the game, Gregor, on BBC about the fact that the highest recorded walking paces, in fact, the highest recorded distances of players going at walking pace in terms of performances so far in the tournament, and that was before this game, where I noticed he was walking a lot. We even discussed it on the radio. You know, Messi just seems to walk around until the ball comes into this area. Three of the top 10 were Messi in the three group matches walking, walking for basically four and a half thousand meters, pretty much half of his movements on the pitch. He walks and I'm like, oh, is he a genius or is he lazy? Like, is this just, you know, a player at the peak of conserving their energy, you know, waiting for the right moment to strike? Or is he just, he's just so number one, so famous that he doesn't have to run and it's fine. Because I think it's okay with one player, like we spoke about Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey, like one, maybe, particularly if it's a player as good as Messi when they get the ball. But 
you can't have three. Like the others have to do some work. Like I, I do, I am kind of concerned for Argentina if that continues. That's very interesting. That's a really kind of amusing stat, but it's not that new either. We know that this is what he does. We know, you know, sometimes there's cameras fo- fixed fixed on him for a few minutes at a time, and you just watch him scanning, looking from side to side, walking around, finding little pockets of space. Sometimes finding a defender's shoulder or a midfielder's shoulder just because he thinks that's a good place to be able to collect the ball and push forward or just to kind of pull off to the side of them. It's, that's not that new. And the, the most important thing is he produce, produces the moments that win them the game. And at the moment, he's doing so. So, I, I, look, I agree with you. I think there's, in the grand scheme of things, there's very little room for for players that um, don't contribute off the ball, shall we say, in the modern game. We've had that conversation about Ronaldo. But this is Lionel Messi, and my God, he's producing at the moment, so um, it might still take them all the way. Walking football. That's something that you're meant to do when you're retired, isn't it? Well, he's not far off, is he? If you look at the kind of ageing stars of this World Cup, you know, Ronaldo, Luis Suarez, uh, Cavani, Hazard, even maybe Lewandowski, you know, so far, none of those have, have really set the world alight. And maybe it's not too much of a stretch to say that kind of on the back of a really gruelling start to the season with only a, a few days or a week to kind of rest and recover and prepare for this World Cup, when normally for a World Cup, you know, you're going to have a month or so to kind of put your feet up and and uh, have some, some massage and some ice baths and get ready for the tournament. That hasn't been the case this year, obviously. And it is possible, it seems, that the kind of ageing legs have, have found it hard going. Um, and and of, those, of that kind of stellar group, Messi really is the only one I think so far who who has managed to kind of deliver his his highest levels. So yes, you know I I hear the argument that you know Messi walks around and and maybe doesn't do the work that the other centre forwards will do. But like Gregor says, that's nothing new. You know, Messi has been has been walking around on the right wing for for, for many many years. And I guess what it allows him to do is it allows him to sort of find those explosive moments to make those. 30-yard runs and dribbles, um, win the free kicks, draw players to him and then and then flick it across to someone else who's in acres of space. Um, all those kind of runs and dribbles, I guess, are the kind of the trade that you make, you know. And, and yes, it comes at a sacrifice, but I guess, you know, when we're talking about Messi and particularly in the, in the context of this current World Cup, it feels like it's a it's a sacrifice that's that's worth making, you know. I mean, I, one thing I would say we haven't talked about as well is just I, I noticed at the end of the match that, Argentina's celebrations were, were going on a long time and, and not to be kind of celebration police or anything. And that seems to have been a trend generally this World Cup. But it was noticeable that, that Messi in, in the kind of huddle afterwards, you know, wasn't particularly joining in. And then I think when they kind of dragged him into the middle, he quite quickly, so he went along with it a little bit for the cameras and then quite quickly sort of wrapped it all up. And I just wondered if he kind of felt like, actually, this is... Uh, this is maybe going on a bit too long here and we need to get back in the change rooms because maybe this isn't the sort of the message we want to want to send out. He's clearly obviously very focused on on carrying on um, and, and it's an interesting uh, idea that maybe that pressure might affect the squad and the team later on. That, uh, how much are they carrying the kind of the burden of, of Messi psychologically um, and how much will that make a difference in the kind of really tense, tight affairs that might be coming up in the next couple of rounds? Um, that remains to be seen, but I think as a as a player, um, what Messi is delivering at the moment is is worth uh, those those moments when it looks like he's doing nothing because just around the corner, you know, there's a moment where he does everything and, and changes the game. I saw the kind of celebration slightly differently, and that there looks to be a 
a real a real good bond there. Not everyone was everyone was celebrating. I guess it went on a long time. But I do see as well what you're saying, Tom. That there's generally speaking, I would imagine that there's quite an odd dynamic between Messi and the rest of the team. And that, I don't know, even the way he like he celebrates with everyone after they all come up and give him the kind of deepest, most loving. <laughs> hug, man hug, <laughs> and uh, and it's like you know, thank you, thank you for doing this for us. Basically, you know, it's a, it's an odd position. It's, the pressure's on him. Yeah, the, there's pressure on everyone around him to help him deliver a World Cup, but ultimately, the the pressure is on Lionel Messi the most. He's the one who's got to produce the moments. He's the one that everyone in the team is looking to. He's the one that everyone in the stand, and there are lots of them, is praying will produce the moments to win the World Cup for them. And at the moment, he's delivering. I actually, I witnessed all of those celebrations and I thought they were slightly over the top. I, I honestly, you know, I mentioned the emotions of it all earlier. You know, it's like Messi's farewell tour. Um, it, it's just a really weird dynamic when Argentina are celebrating beating Australia. Again, I sound like the celebration police. You know, it's a game that you should win pretty comfortably. And look, it doesn't matter how you go through, you go through and you win. And there is delight. Absolutely, there is. But I think the celebrations with their fans, who have been incredible and were incredible once again, were definitely, they were just a little bit too much for me. Like in, in, in the sense that clearly every result holds, you could tell it holds such significance for everyone there that you're kind of like, Argentina winning a last 16 game at the World Cup. Like, you could feel that it wasn't a normal, you know, it wasn't a normal, yes, we've made it through. Thank you for coming to watching us at the World Cup. But you know what? You can expect a lot more from us and we're going to be we're going to be there or thereabouts when it really matters towards the end of the tournament. You know, it wasn't it wasn't that, you know, it was it honestly, it felt like South Korea the day before. Like it did. All right, no one was crying their eyes out, but it it did feel a little bit like wow weight off our shoulders we've made it through like it felt like more of an achievement for Argentina than it should like you're Argentina well, we, do have to, we do have to remember that they lost to Saudi Arabia in their opening game so this has been a turnaround that would have been all, all these things we've been talking about the pressure were spiked considerably after that so I'm sure there is a lot of relief and we'll see we'll see how much the kind of motion um, emotion is a factor in the uh, in the next game don't want to get into them too much, to be honest, even though it sounds like I really have stuck into, you know, got stuck into them quite a lot. They are a very good football team. They have the best player, certainly at the tournament, but probably of all time in their team. Um, and yeah, the only person I think that's rivaling here at the moment is Mbappe. France will play Poland tomorrow. Um, that's going to be, I think, a foregone conclusion. I mean, there's been a lot of shocks at this World Cup. That would amaze me more than anything else. Having seen Poland's last game, they're probably, for me, the worst team in the knockout stages. And I think even their fans are surprised they made it this far. But there you go. Football, anything can happen. But also, we've got England tomorrow. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. 
but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. There are some things that we need to broach. Firstly, we spoke about who should start in the front three. There is a choice to be made there. There are rumours and reports that Carl Walker will not play and will be left out. That's an interesting one because you know how important he is and he hasn't played a lot of football. The midfield, who starts there? Does Mason Mount get dropped now? Is it Jordan Henderson, Rice and Bellingham? So, gentlemen, really, can you answer those questions by essentially telling me who you would play in the front three, your midfield, and what shape you'd use? I think the Walker-Trippier one is is interesting because I guess it speaks to the sort of the mentality of, of Southgate and where he's at because if he wants to sort of go into the the knockout stage prepping a sort of a back five uh, rear guard action against the kind of more elite opponents um, and whether or not you know we consider Senegal to be in that in that group um, I'm not sure um, but I guess if you know if if we if we allow ourselves to look ahead one for example potentially if England were to play France in the next round I presume Southgate won't want to be throwing Walker into that game as a starter on the back of, you know, 60 minutes in the space of whatever it's been, you know, how long has he been out injured? A few weeks, right? So I'm guessing, you know, he would want to be giving Walker some considerable minutes, you know, in this match, if that is, if that is his plan, kind of looking ahead. Um, I guess equally, you know, Trippier, you know, you don't want to throw Walker into a, into a last 16 match either against Senegal. If he's not ready, if he's not fully fit and sharp and ready for that, for that either. So that is an interesting conundrum, I think. You know, um, the other one up front, I think, is slightly less significant. I have to say, and I know it, it makes a very interesting debate as to whether or not you, you know, which two you go for out of Sterling, Saka, Foden, Rashford, for example. But I think all of them really will offer a lot for England between Saka and Foden. I don't think there's very much. I think Rashford probably will start. And even if not, you know, the ones who don't start can come off the bench in the last half an hour. Um, this is a World Cup where rotation and uh, substitutions are making more of an impact than ever before. Um, so I don't see that as a as a game changer necessarily for England. The Henderson versus Mount one in midfield, I think, is is an interesting one as well. We know how loyal Southgate is to, to Mason Mount, for sure. But I think Henderson in that three in the last game was was really impressive and the balance in that midfield was seemed to work really well. Um, so I would personally probably stick with Henderson. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Southgate pivots back to Mount, but, but listen, I think they're, they're all kind of, you know, cliche alert, nice problems to have and inverted commas. Um, I think England will be tested in this game. I think it's possible their defense will be tested much more than they have been um, in the group stage. And that, you know, lest we forget, is their biggest weakness, you know, and that hasn't really been put under the microscope that much yet. So let's see. But I, I expect them I expect them to get through. Um, I have to say, I think it'll be tight. I think it could even could even go beyond um, the 90 minutes. But 
uh, I, th- I expect them to get through this one. I think the first thing to say is that Gary Lineker, among others, was saying that Kyle Walker should be rested because there's a prospect of him being someone about the only player on the planet who could possibly keep up with Kylian Mbappe in the uh, in the next stage. I don't think that will enter Gareth Southgate's mind. He'll play his best team to win this game, and it may be that Walker, who's you know only had what was it an hour in that game, he still feels that Trippier's ahead of him. Um, that may change if they get get through to France and he's got another you know a bit more training under his belt and whatnot. But that's f- for another day. Um, so I wouldn't be too surprised by that. And I think he'll play Rashford and Foden. I'm with Tom. I don't, I've, I've said all along. You've, there's very little between a lot of your attacking players. And I think he'll play Henderson alongside Rice and Bellingham because it's just the safer option. And Southgate at heart is still someone who goes for the safe option. <laughs> I do think it's tough. He's got a lot of good players. I, I kind of feel it like, it like it's harsh on Saka, who didn't do anything wrong. In the first two games, I think Phil Foden got to play against a terrible Wales side. I think Saka would have done special things in that game as well had he started. So I feel like it's really, really hard for Gareth Southgate to leave him out now. I also don't know about our approach. I I think we'll go five at the back, to be honest. I think this will be the first game that we see it. I think Carl Walker will play, but so will Trippier. I think it'll be Bellingham and Rice in the middle. And I think the front three will probably be Foden, Rashford and Kane um, and the reason I think he'll go for a back five is and, and probably win 1-0 on a set piece is the only way that Senegal are probably going to hurt England is on the counter attack and actually that's been one of their worst areas you know in terms of their defence for a while that transition we've seen Harry Maguire getting caught higher up the pitch John Stones at times hasn't found it easy on the counter-attack and a lot of teams have scored goals against England so you put Carl Walker back there closer to the, the other two centre-halves if you like and you kind of kill that that prospect and yeah it probably turns into a tighter more turgid game but one that you think England will win we'll react to it tomorrow <laughs> hopefully England will be going through to the quarter-finals right Gregor? Absolutely <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic alright well listen loads for us to look forward to at the World Cup gentlemen I appreciate you at taking the time so late on to talk to me. Thank you all for listening as well. Uh, we'll be back reacting to Senegal against England tomorrow, remember? You can read all about that in terms of the previews on the Times app right now. Go and pick up a paper as well. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Hit the notifications button. You will not miss an episode. And we'll be back with you tomorrow morning. See you then. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.